I can think of no better place to be on earth than right here, right now. It is a privilege to be able to worship God, and I'm so thankful that he has given us the ability to do so this morning and to be able to do so together here. I'm thankful to be a member of this congregation, and I'm convinced that you'll find no better group of God's people anywhere in this world. If you've been visiting with us for some time, I I hope that you'll consider talking with one of our elders and letting them know that you would like to place your membership and be a part of the congregation that meets here. I know that we would love to have you, and uh, I'm thankful that we can be Uh, that we can work together and serve the Lord together and grow together. And this morning, as we are able to worship together, I hope that we will turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to be studying the context that was read for us a moment ago. We appreciate Bill for reading that. It was a lengthy reading, but uh, I felt that it was important for us to get the entirety of the context, so we appreciate that. As we study the book of Hebrews The word, or at least one of the words that really stands out is the word better, or the word superior. In fact, the word better is a word that shows up 13 times in this book, and that word, as it is applied to Jesus and to his accomplishments, it indicates a higher, a greater, a superior status. We read the word first in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 4 where Jesus is described as being better than the angels. We also find it in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9 where the Hebrews writer will say, Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. We read about a better priesthood in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 7. The lesser is blessed by the better. We read about a better hope in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 19. We read about the bringing in of a better, again, a higher, a superior hope. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 22 and Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 6, we read about a better covenant that's been ushered in by Jesus. There are better sacrifices in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 23. Therefore, it was necessary, the Hebrews writer says, that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. When he switches over to a section, or at least begins to switch over to a section in making application, the Hebrews writer will talk in Hebrews 10 and verse number 34 about a better possession. He says, we have an enduring possession for ourselves in heaven, Hebrews 10 and verse number 34. It's described as a better country in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 16. We read about a better resurrection in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 35, about something that's better waiting for us in Hebrews 11 verse 40. And in Hebrews 12 and 24, the Hebrews writer describes blood, the blood of Jesus that speaks of better things. Over and over again, we read about the superiority or the betterness of Jesus the Christ and of Christianity, if you will. The key of all of this, I want to point you to this, is Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 1. Notice the language that the Hebrews writer uses in this passage. Now this is the main point, he says, of the things which we are saying. 
This is the main point, he says, of the things which we are saying. Anytime you see a passage like this, it ought to really catch your attention because the writer is preparing to tell us about the main idea. And he says the the main idea is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. I want you to stop just for a moment. Put your bookmark or your finger, at least your thought, at Hebrews 8 and verse number 1. And I want us to go back today to the very first one of these betters that are found in this book, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus is described in this passage as having become so much better than the angels as he, by inheritance, has obtained a more excellent name than they. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4, and really extending all the way through the end of Hebrews chapter 2, with a slight pause in the middle in Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 4, the the writer of this book, by inspiration, is going to focus upon this point, and that is that Jesus is better than the angels. You see, in the ancient world, people had a fascination with angels, even as they do today. It may interest you to note that angels were prominent, or at least uh, angelic-type deities were prominent in the pagan religions of the Near East. Even the Greeks had an expectation of an angelic messenger of some kind that they looked forward to coming. We study the Old Testament and we see angels, and particularly the angel of the Lord, playing a prominent role in the Old Testament. He appeared to Lot, or excuse me, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. And to Lot in Genesis chapter 19, he appeared to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 23 and following. Now, with that thought in mind, look again at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. The Hebrews writer begins this book by describing the superiority of Jesus to angels. And he tells us in Hebrews 8.1 that the main point of what he's trying to say, beginning in Hebrews 1 and extending all the way up to this point, is that we have a superior high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And here's how it all ties together. The angels are described as being mediators of the law of Moses. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 and Acts 7 and verse 53. But Jesus is superior to Moses, and Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, according to Hebrews 8 and verse 6. And so, if you're a Jewish Christian, why would you go back to an inferior covenant given by an inferior prophet through inferior mediators? That's the question. That's the reason why we begin this book, or the Holy Spirit begins this book in Hebrews chapter 1 by describing the superior status or the superior nature of Jesus to the angels. And he's going to do so in Hebrews chapter 1 by mentioning five reasons. And I want us to notice them together for the remainder of our study. Five reasons from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, that Jesus is superior to the angels. And you'll notice that as he goes through these reasons, he will base them upon quotations and references from the Old Testament and largely from the book of Psalms. Reason number one, why is Jesus superior to the angels? First, he is superior to the angels because of his name. And that name is Son. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. But when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, "Let Actually, I'm go, I've gone too far, sorry. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 5. Notice the Bible will refer to angels as sons, plural, In a passage like Job chapter 1 and verse number 6 where we read about the sons of God or Job 38 and verse number 7, it seems to be a reference to angels. Even Israel in Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 22 will be referred to as a son or as sons, but the only one who is ever referred to in the pages of God's word as my son or as the son is Jesus Christ. Two passages that the writer will quote to substantiate this claim. The first one is Psalm 2 and verse number 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And the second one is 2 Samuel 7 and verse number 14. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Psalm 2 is a royal, a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that describes the victory of the Messiah over the forces of evil and over his enemies. 2 Samuel chapter 7, as you recall, is the prophecy in which God promises David that he is going to establish his throne. And that he is going to establish one of his lines sitting upon his throne forever. And both of these passages are used by the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 in application to Jesus. You are my son, he says, today I have begotten you. When we think about the word begotten, we have to recognize that it is used in this case really in the sense of firstborn. A little bit different than how it's used in John 3 in verse number 16. In fact, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 33 Uh, the, The Apostle Paul will quote this very passage of Psalm 2 and verse 7, and in that case, he will make application to the resurrection. It has to do with Jesus being the firstborn. It has to do with his resurrection. And 2 Samuel 7 and verse 14, as quoted in Hebrews 1 and verse 5, has to do with Jesus being the descendant of David. And so, therefore, Jesus has the right to be called the Son of God. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his name, and his name is Son. Not a son, not sons, but rather my son and the Son of God. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says, verses 10 to 12, that every knee shall bow and that every tongue shall confess the name of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and that God has given him a name that is above every name. Jesus is superior because of his name. Second, Jesus is superior because he is worshipped. Jesus is superior because he receives worship. The writer says, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. When we think about the word worship, one way to remember what the word worship means is to define it this way. It is worth-ship. 
So when we worship someone, we are ascribing glory and honor and literally worth to the one who is worthy. So in this passage, the writer uses the word firstborn. He brings the firstborn into the world, and the word firstborn does not refer to coming into being. And the reason is because Jesus, of course, is God. He is on an equality with God. You remember from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, he always has been God and he always will be God. He is not created. But the word firstborn then has to do with rank. It has to do with priority. It has to do with superiority. So he is emphasizing again the superiority or the priority or the rank of Jesus. And he says, number two, the reason why Jesus occupies this position of superiority is because not that the angels do, but that the angels must worship him. This is a quotation of two passages Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 43, as it's translated in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and Psalm 97 and verse number 7. The inferior worships the superior, not the other way around. So the angels worshiped at his birth, Luke 2, verses 8 to 14, and the heavenly hosts worship him now, according to Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Jesus is superior to the angels because they ascribe worth and honor to him as one who is eternal, one who is divine, one who is superior, and one who is worthy of worship. Number three, Jesus is superior to the angels because of his nature. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his nature. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. The Hebrews writer says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire, but to the sun. Notice the contrast. To the angels, he says, ministers and flame of fire, but to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is uh, the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all of your companions. Let's look at the language that he uses. First of all, in Hebrews 1 and verse 7, this language about the angels being spirits, ministers, a flame of fire, the idea of it is that the angels are servants. The angels minister before the throne while the Son sits on the throne. That's the contrast. Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7 is a passage that is referenced here. Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7. So the angels are servants, but Jesus is the Son. The angels have no right to rule. They serve the will of God. Jesus, on the other hand, is God, and he has right to rule, and so therefore they must bow before him, and they must recognize him. The writer describes the throne, O God, being forever and ever, from Psalm 89 and verse 14, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom, and the scepter is a symbol of kingly authority. He says, you have been anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of your companions. And the oil of gladness is a symbol of joy and it is a symbol of accomplishment. 
In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, through the eyes of prophecy, Daniel sees the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Daniel sees a crown and a kingdom given to him and a throne. He sees him being made king and being given the right to rule. And the Bible tells us in Acts 2 and verse 34 through 36 that after the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, that Jesus occupies the throne at the right hand of his Father in heaven and that he now sits as King of kings and Lord of lords and that all power and that all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. And so he rules. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his very nature. The angels serve The angels obey the will. The angels have no right to rule. But Jesus sits on the throne. They worship and they bow before the throne. He sits on the throne and he holds within his hand the power to rule as king. Jesus is superior because of his name and that name is Son. Jesus is superior because he is worshipped. They worshipped at his birth and they worship now at, uh, while he sits on the throne. He is superior because of his nature. He rules. But he is also superior, number four, because he is the eternal creator. The Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, You, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. Keep in mind now as the writer by inspiration quotes Psalm 102 verses 25 to 27. That like in the, in the other passages of this chapter, the writer is taking these passages and applying them to Jesus Christ. You remember in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that the writer said of Jesus in that passage, through whom he also made the worlds. The writer has already told us, or described to us rather, Jesus as the agent of creation. He describes him as being superior to the prophets. He describes him as being the last and final authoritative revelation of God to mankind. And he describes him in verse number 2 as the agent of creation. He's now repeating it in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 to 12. He's telling us that the Son is over the universe because the universe came into being through him. And in order to illustrate that even further, he uses this language from Psalm 102 to paint a contrast for us. And the contrast is that this created order that we live in and that we see around us, that every day it grows older and there's going to come a time where it's going to go away and it's no longer going to exist. But the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who created it, he'll continue to live on forever and ever. The Son is superior to the angels because He is the eternal Creator. And number five, the Son is superior to the angels because of what He has accomplished. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And notice the question To which of the angels has He ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? This is a reference to Psalm 110, Hebrews 1.13. And incidentally, Psalm 110 is going to be referenced 12 times in this book. The psalmist asks the question, 
or rather relates the statement, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And he states it in the form of a question. He wants to know to which of the angels has this statement ever been made. And the answer, of course, is to none. The footstool, it refers to the custom of the victor placing his foot on the neck of a defeated enemy. And the right hand, of course, is the position of honor. And so what the Hebrews writer is doing now at this point is he is looking back to what he began in verse 1 of this chapter. And as he has in mind now the sum total of everything that Jesus has accomplished, the Word become flesh, John chapter 1, Jesus Christ who humbled himself and submitted himself to the will of the Father, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, the one who in submitting to the Father's will came to this earth, lived and died on the cross in order to purchase salvation for all of humanity, to bring the scheme of eternal redemption to fruition that existed in the mind of God, the one who arose from the grave and ascended into heaven, having won the victory over over death and over the devil and over all of his enemies, is now declared the victorious ruler. He has won. Jesus, or these uh, sentiments, rather, have never been ascribed to the angels. In fact, they've never been ascribed to anyone other than Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his name, and that name is Son. Jesus is superior because he is worshipped. Jesus is superior because of his nature. He is superior because he is the eternal creator. And he is superior because of what he has accomplished. Notice the angels in verse number 14 are described as ministering spirits. They are ministers. They are servants sent forth to minister. Jesus, however, is superior. Jesus is one who rules on the throne. Jesus is one who is worshipped. And Jesus is one who who is honored. The angels, as we survey throughout the Bible, their role in uh, God's plan, they have a role, and their role is honorable, but their role is to serve the Savior. They announced his birth, Luke 2, verses 9 to 14. They ministered to him in the wilderness, Matthew 4 and verse number 11. They announced the resurrection, Luke 24 and verse 4. They strengthened the apostles, Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. They will accompany Jesus at the second coming, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 to 9. And they will be in heaven with the Lord, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 22. Their role is important, but their role is to serve. Christ, however, is superior. Now in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4... He will be, the Hebrews writer will begin to make his application. We'll take a note at that this evening. But anytime we think about the superiority of the Savior, we have to think about the superiority of the Savior, not just in the immediate context of what's mentioned, but in the broad context of who he is and where I stand in relation to him. In Luke chapter 18, there is a young ruler who comes before Jesus And the Bible says in Luke chapter 18 that he came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, You know the commandments. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and with all of your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young ruler said to Jesus, I've done all of these things from my youth up. What do I lack? And Jesus says, Sell all that you have and uh, give to the poor. 
And the Bible says that the young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I've often thought about that rich young ruler. And the thought that has come to my mind is this. What exactly did he expect Jesus to say before he ever went up and asked him the question? We're never going to know the answer to that question on this side of eternity. I have no idea what he expected the Lord to say, but I think it's safe to say that I know what he didn't expect him to say. And what he didn't expect him to say is sell everything that you have and give it to feed the poor. Here is a man who was rich in this world's goods and seems to have been looking at following the superior Savior from the standpoint of maybe checking boxes, crossing T's and dotting I's. But Jesus said, it's much more than that. If you're really going to follow me and if you're really going to serve me, then you're going to have to completely dedicate yourself to my life. You dedicate your life to me. And the rich young ruler wasn't ready to hear that, so he went away sorrowful. The lesson, or one of the many lessons that's to be found from that occasion, is that sometimes, sometimes the Jesus that we paint, the picture of Jesus that we paint in our minds is very different from the Jesus of reality. People have sometimes in their minds an image of a Lord who is willing to accept them on whatever terms. A Lord who is willing to allow them to follow him in a half-hearted manner in whatever way that they want. Sometimes we have in our minds the idea that we can serve God while at the same time being enraptured by the carnal and mundane things of this world. But the story of the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18 teaches us different. It reminds us of the truth that is emphasized in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 5 and following that Jesus is superior to the angels, yes, and what that means for my life is that he has to be superior to every single thing that exists in my world. As it has been said, Jesus will either be Lord of all or he will not be Lord at all. And so I cannot stand in the shoes of the rich young ruler and hear him say, sell what you have and give to feed the poor and go away sorrowful. But rather, when the Lord says, give everything that you have, even your very life, to my service, then because he is superior, I ought to be ready to bow my knee in humble submission, obedience, ready to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll give what you want me to give, and I'll be who you want me to be. Anytime we think about the superiority of Jesus, that's what has to come to mind. It's one thing to read about his superiority to the angels, but it's another thing altogether to make application of his superiority in my own life. So I ask you this morning, as we bring our lesson to a close... Has Jesus been placed in a position of superiority in your life? Does his will matter more than yours? Does, uh, the, do the things of God matter more than the things of this world? Do you give, have you given yourself to him in completeness and in entirety and in totality? Are you ready to serve him? This morning, if you're not a Christian, the Lord's invitation is extended Perhaps you have a desire this morning to become a Christian, to submit yourselves to his will. The Bible teaches that if a person believes in the deity of Jesus, John 8 and verse 24, and if they're willing to repent of their sins, Luke 13 and verse 3, and confess their faith, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins, Acts 2 and verse 38, that God will add them to the church. 
Acts 2 and verse 47. The church, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God over which the superior Savior reigns as king. Are you ready to submit yourself to him? This morning, if you're a Christian and you've begun to wander away and put other things in the position of superiority in your life, then we urge you to make that right. And if we can help you to do it, then we invite you to come and let us know while we stand and sing the invitation song together.